This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, good evening, everybody. Um, wow, it's lovely to have you here with me. My name's Holly Kingmand, and tonight I'm hosting the Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. So, uh, <laughs> being my first show, not entirely sure how long this uh, little intro music is going to last. So we'll see. This is um, <laughs> practice. This so, is excellent. Teachers Talk Radio, and go. you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, so that went not too badly to start with. Um, I always get the complete... um, completely terrible nerves when I do something new like this for the first time. Um, So for those of you that have tuned into the show and you don't know who I am, I am an English teacher, I'm an English specialist um, and I don't teach in a normal classroom, I actually teach in my own online classroom as a result of um, putting myself out there at the start of lockdown really and saying that I would do a free live English lesson every weekday until schools reopened, thinking, of course, that it would only be a couple of weeks. And there we go. It turned out to be weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'm still doing it now. Not always for free now, though, mind. And um, in that very first live, much like this one, it was my very first go at doing a live on Facebook, as this is my very first live on Podbean, live on Teachers Talk Radio. And on that one, two and a half thousand people tuned in live. So you can imagine what my nerves were then. Strangely enough, um, (laughs) I think I feel more nervous now than I did uh, then. Um, But there we go. Right. So um, tonight I'm going to be talking about what makes a teacher become a teacher. Now, um, I was thinking, what shall I talk about? It's a late show. It's eight o'clock on a Thursday. So it's, to me, that's quite late. I've got three children under four. Um, So normally by this time, I'm absolutely shattered. I I am shattered now. (laughs) But I thought being towards the end of the week and quite late into the evening, it might be a nice time to step away from maybe some teaching and learning topics for tonight. Um, and maybe go towards a more softer subject. So I thought it'd be nice to hear from um, different teachers about how they became a teacher, their story. And when I appealed to um, my social media following, did anybody have a good story that they wanted to share? I was inundated with just such a broad and interesting range of stories. And it really was... um, lovely really to see that the teachers that we have come from so many different walks of life for so many different reasons Um, and all of us bring such different things to the table Um, and I did have a little sort of bit of a warm cuddly teacher moment inside that we really do work in the very best profession Um, so 
tonight we will be speaking to Charlotte Rampling, who is now an ex-teacher, but she was a teacher and she's a fourth generation teacher. So we're going to hear her story and about uh, the school that her great aunt worked at and then about her family history of teaching. And we'll also be talking to Felix Oviedo, who is a Spanish teacher, but he kind of accidentally fell into teaching. And um, he's going to tell us how that occurred for him and how he fell in love with teaching. And then before I wrap up for the evening, we will be talking to Lara Stafford. So I'm going to have a bit of a fangirl moment when we speak to Lara. Lara is the very inspirational viral online science teacher from Theatre of Science. And if you haven't seen any of her crazy live lesson I mean I call them lessons they're shows they really are shows especially story time ones with lego characters and all sorts but they are absolutely brilliant so um, I'm really looking forward to talking to Lara and um, just finding out about how she made her way into the classroom and then a little as well about how she made her way out of the classroom just like I did to become an online teacher. Uh, so I'm delighted to see, looking at the chat, that um, you can hear me live, loud and clear. That's good. So things are working. <laughs> and um, Felix has um, has also joined, which is fantastic. That means we've definitely got at least one caller that is definitely going to happen this evening. <laughs> Uh, right. So if you've got a really interesting story about how you or even heartwarming, it doesn't have to be totally interesting or, or sort of you know, earth shattering. But if you've got a story about how you made your way into the profession, um, then I would love to hear it. So you can call into the digital studio through the Podbean app and um, you can even share your ideas um, in the chat on Podbean. So um, let's see. Nobody in the chat just yet telling me any stories totally totally acceptable it's only been six minutes maybe I'm jumping ahead of ahead of the game here <laughs> right so um what's quite nice is I've just got a little um notification on my phone that says the live show the late show uh late show with Holly King Mand is starting now please join gosh yes lucky I did join just in time for my own show um that's rather nice maybe I should screenshot that and keep it I might even add it to my collection of um lovely teaching things we all have a folder like that don't we is it just me my husband is a teacher and he has one too with all of those little thank you notes and um little reminders of why we love what we do and um not so much now that I'm not in the classroom but when I was at the chalk face and we have those days where we feel really stressed and we're wondering whether maybe we should just uh, chuck it all in and maybe go and just you know be a gardener or a baker or just something wildly different and and probably I would imagine far more relaxing and less stressful uh, it's those moments isn't it when we turn to that book that folder that we keep of all of those lovely memories and remind ourselves why we do what we do so um, maybe yes a screenshot um, of that on my phone might remind me that I've um, I've made it I've made it <laughs> I'm hosting Teachers Talk Radio Show. Uh, right, let's see. Did you get fan mail thank yous from the lockdown work? Someone's just asked me that in the uh, in the chat. Do you know what I did? I I yes, 
and they're lovely. Um, so I've had some things posted to me um, via my father's place of work for security, of course. You don't know how crazy these fans are, so you have to be careful. <laughs> um, but I received some lovely um, thank you letters and cards and gifts as well, books. Um, students sent me copies of their work. I've had gifts from all over the world, from Canada. Um, and interestingly, I've had them from as far as Canada, but I've actually had them from a lot closer to home as well. So um, little did I know that um, some of the students that were following my lessons during lockdown and now come to my uh, regular lessons in my global classroom, they actually attend a school just down the road from the school my husband works at. And um, I was very, very touched at Christmas to receive um, a couple of Christmas cards and some gifts. And um, when I had my youngest daughter, Eliza, earlier in the year, um, I, I got a few baby gifts as well via my husband's school, which is um, really was really touching because it is hard having a global classroom. I do think you can build those relationships, but it's not quite the same, is it? You know, you're not you're not getting a thank you card on the last day of term. Um, right. So uh, maybe it's time for our first caller. Oh, look, in the chat, how wonderful is that? My mum has just said hi to my lovely daughter, Holly. I'm listening to you from Cornwall. Hello, mum. Glad you're listening. Feel a lot safer now that you're there. <laughs> so um, I haven't got my first caller yet, but as soon as she calls in, then we can hear all about um, how she became a fourth generation teacher. Um, so, oh, look, it looks like she's calling now. Yes. Is this going to work? Hello, Holly. Hello, are you, Charlotte? Hello, Holly, it's Charlotte, yes. Hi, it's so nice to talk to you. And to you, this is great. Thank you for having me. Um, we've been doing a lot of sort of messaging over Instagram and and and, well, and over our phones this evening as well. Um, but this is the first time that we've actually spoken to each other, so it's nice to hear your to hear your voice. Yes, I'm a real person. <laughs> ah. Um, so look, I was absolutely blown away when you said that you were a fourth generation um, teacher or ex teacher now. Um, so we would just love to hear so much more about this. So um, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about your family history and then um, we'll, we'll start digging a bit deeper and hearing about the specifics. Absolutely. So um, it's funny, isn't it? When it's your own family history, it, it doesn't, um, doesn't seem as bizarre as it does to other people because I've been talking about being the fourth generation teacher in my family for, for, you know, for many years um, and that's just the way it is. But actually, when I invited my mum around a few days ago to unpick the details uh, with her, it was, it was such a joy to find out um, the, you know, the exact details and where it goes back to. And um, so the... the first known teachers in my family go right the way back to the Victorian times. Wow. Uh, so I know, it just seems crazy. Uh, that was my great aunt Lena. And she, so that was 145 years ago she was born, back in 1870. <gasps> <laughs> and um, she became a teacher, from what I can understand, she excelled at school herself. And at the school where she was a pupil, she became um, something called a pupil teacher, 
which was the pupils that excelled in school as they um, progressed through the school they became a pupil teacher which in effect um, I guess is is the modern day teaching assistant um, and they would help out in the school with the younger children um, and that gave her her passion for teaching um, she then went on to pursue that and became a teacher and went out to Canada to um, to do the majority of her teaching. She met her husband in the UK, but he was Canadian. So they got on right. a boat and sailed to Canada. And um, she worked in a prairie school in the plains in Canada where children would come from far and wide, um, either walking or um, cycling. And, you know, mixed ages, um, one class, one classroom, all the children would turn up. And oh, wow. It sounds idyllic. The school, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were various challenges along the way, um, you know, teaching multiple year groups all in the same room. But, um, but that was her, and that's what we know of her. And then my granny, um, so that would have been great aunt Lena's niece, she... Um, was quite inspired, I believe, by Aunt Lena and, and what she was doing. And she decided that she'd love to be a teacher uh, too. So she um, actually uh, worked really hard at school and then went on to get a degree in English at the University of London. And actually back in the day, so we're talking, um, my granny was born in 1908. Um, and so it was quite unusual um, for women of that time, actually, to have a degree. Yes, um, absolutely. Goodness. And in fact, yeah, the University of London, where she got her degree from, that was the first university in the UK to award degrees to women. Um, so that's really, you know, when you think about it. Um, you know, that's a hugely, like, you should be so proud of that, your family. I mean, it's a wonderful yeah. thing. Well, actually, I said to my mum when she was telling me this story, I'm actually one of, um, I'm one of four children. So my mum and dad have got three girls and a boy. And, uh, and we're all quite headstrong. We're all quite independent and strong-willed. And um, I really do think when you unpick our history, <laughs> and, yeah, and you see, you know, how hard my granny worked to get what she got and what she wanted, um, it, you know, it's funny how it sort of filters through the generation. Mm, absolutely, yes. Um, so, yeah, really hugely, hugely proud of that achievement for her. Um, she taught until she was 60. She retired in her 60s. She was an English teacher. She actually joined Aunt Lena for a few years in Canada, um, and then what she... a lovely connection because I was going to ask you if um, if she'd had any much contact with your great aunt Lena and, and whether they're sort of teaching crossed over at all so that's yeah quite exciting yeah so as I understand it she went out there for a couple of years um, to to teach in Canada and again the thought of of that um, you know getting on a boat sailing out to Canada um, and 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 you know doing a couple of years um teaching out there um it's it's not qu quite as unusual now but you know back in the day it, it would have really been i think quite unusual that's that said um i think one of the reasons um she went out to canada was because her um the the, the jobs here were um quite sparse so um she she went out there to to get her her job um uh, are you still there, Holly? Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm just sorry. No, okay. I'm engrossed listening to no, your my, story. Fine. I hope all the listeners are too. Um, but <laughs> my screen just went blank on my phone. I just wanted to check you were still there. That's fine. Um, so that's Granny, and then um, 
my granny and grandpa, they had two girls, one of which um, is my mum. And my mum became a teacher um, and she, um, you know, relatively standard route into teaching. She did her BA honours degree um, and she actually did a BA honours degree with French because at the time French was firmly on the uh, primary school curriculum um, as as it is now. But no sooner had she done her degree, they actually took French off the curriculum um, so she still became a primary school teacher, but she didn't specialise in French as, as she had intended to. Um, but at the end of her career, so she did 30 years in teaching. And by the end of her career, she was actually teaching in secondary school and back to teaching French in secondary schools. So, ah, OK. So a full uh, circle for her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so then she retired in, 90, she took early retirement in 1997 um and that was actually 1998 sorry and that was the year that I started my degree so she was coming out of teaching as I was going in as it were um so my parents had four children like I say only one of whom uh, was crazy enough should I say to go into the (laughs) teaching (laughs) profession (laughs) we're all a little bit mad in this profession aren't we you have to be um I had many many happy years um teaching I taught uh, so I graduated in 2002 and I taught for 15 years um as a primary school teacher ending my career as the deputy head and senko of a um of a local primary school here um and I know you're going to ask me more about where my journey went after that so I'll I'll leave you but I think I'll leave you to talk about that but um I think that's given you a little snapshot into uh the four four generations of my family teachers that is I mean that's just a great story in itself it's um did it do you think that it sort of encouraged you to get into teaching because you have that history because it's quite interesting you said at the start that you hadn't quite really you don't you didn't realize yeah how impressive that is until you you say it to other people and they say goodness a fourth generation oh my goodness that's crazy so yeah, do no, you feel like you were impacted by that I, mean, it- I, think, I think I've always felt like I literally have got teaching in my bloodstream um I mean from a very very young age I wanted to teach I I mean I know I definitely know from the age of 10 um that I was I was um you know, keen to become a teacher from from an early age. Um, mm-hmm. I used to run, well, I've got a younger sister who's six years younger than me, and I would run all of her little children's birthday parties at home. Um, I, I just used to, yeah, I used to really love it. I used to help in the local brownie group. Um, so being around children was um, certainly, like I say, almost in my in my bloodstream and then obviously having both my parents as teachers um I don't think I'm, I didn't I didn't talk about my dad's route into teaching but it was my mum that persuaded my dad to go into teaching when I was born so I was child number three in the family um previously to that my dad had been a professional opera singer and needed a bit more of a stable job so teaching was um suggested and off he went to do his training so yeah so both my te- my, my parents were teachers so they were a huge influence in in me choosing that career yeah Wow, goodness. Okay. Um, so I mean, I I, 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 also, I almost have too many questions for you. I feel like <laughs> after the show, or maybe not after the show mm. today, because I know you've had a really long day today. Uh-huh. Yep. But another day, I, I feel like I need to call you up and just ask you, you know, Definitely. hundreds of questions. Um, but why don't you tell us what was your first memory of school? Oh, okay. Um, uh, okay, so I... Um... 
first memory of school, I I went to three different schools. Um, so I went to an infant school, then I moved to go to a different junior school, and then I moved again to to go on to a different secondary school. Um, I think my first memory of school was in my infant school. I remember having a really strict teacher. I do know her name, but just in case she's listening, <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. she's actually still here. God love her. Um, she, uh, but I do remember that. She was a very, very strict teacher. He didn't dare put a foot wrong. And I distinctly remember drinking the warm milk from blue straws out directly out of the bottle that we were sort of subjected to on a daily basis. Um, and learning to read uh, using the Jennifer Yellow Hat, Billy Blue Hat books. Okay, I don't know those. Um, you're not. I was really hoping you would, Holly. I think you're a bit younger than me, so um, maybe I'll have to uh, hunt them out on eBay and um, and send you a copy. Because they, they certainly taught me, and I think many generations before me to read. So, yeah. oh, my my first sort of um, sort of phonics memories from school were Letterland. I don't know if you remember Letterland, or maybe I, I, that was after. I know, but it wasn't. I didn't learn through that um, that scheme. But no, it's Jennifer Yellow Hat, Billy Blue Hat, and Roger Red Hat. I, I've got to find them for you. Very Holly. original. <laughs> <laughs> um, lovely. So, I mean, it, it, was it a positive time for you at school, though, when you were a child? Did it did it feed into that desire to want to become a teacher? Do you know it's interesting because there's there's two answers to that. Was it a positive time for me? Not entirely. Uh, did it feed into my desire to become a teacher? Yes. And I think that's probably because it wasn't always a hugely positive experience for me at school. And therefore, I almost thought it my job and my desire to be the teacher I never Your had. I, I never had. Yeah. That I, yes, exactly. And I thought... Um, there was one really inspirational teacher who um, took me under her wing and it was when I was having a really tough time in year, in what is the equivalent now of year six, uh, so the last year of uh, primary school. And I just didn't see eye to eye with my year six teacher. And I... Um, I just did, yeah, just had a bit of a rough time in the classroom, to be honest. And my younger sister had just started in reception at the same school. And the year six teacher um, saw it as her way out to, to send me out of the classroom to this reception class. Um, and, you know, just basically, you know, out of sight, out of mind idea. Mm. And so I'd spend a large amount of my time. It's a wonder I got as far as I got, really, because I spent a large uh, part of my final year at um, primary school um, in reception, um, helping out, cutting things out, preparing resources. Um, and like I say, this teacher, Mrs. Um, Mrs. Sarah Wilson was her name. She really took me under her wing. And it was that, I think, as well, coupled with the fact both my parents were teachers, that made me really want to be I saw another side of teaching I saw another side of teachers should I say the type of teacher mm. I wanted to be was uh, this this reception school teacher and that's what gave me my my desire really to, to go on and pursue that 
it also sounds a little bit like there's a bit of a parallel there with great aunt um was it great aunt lena yes um when you said that you know she started off as a little bit of a student teacher and the you know helping out with the younger ones yes. and it sounds like that's what you did too you I, came down and, and helped with cutting things out and, absolutely uh, you're, you're absolutely right yeah i was the pupil teacher of, of my my dad <laughs> not not through choice i, I wouldn't say. Um, but, but actually, yeah, it, it, you know, in many ways, it, it was the making of me. And, um, and so I remember this teacher left um, the year I left um, to, because she used to have a hobby making teddy bears. And she gifted me one of her handmade bears, and it is still on my bed today. Um, and it's the, the bear that she made, and she gave it to me, and she left the teaching profession to pursue this um, hobby of making teddy bears. Um, and interestingly, like I say, we'll come to what I'm doing now, but I'm also, I have also left the profession to pursue an interest in, in craft. So, oh, um, yes. yeah, I, and I, I mean, I, I don't attribute that specifically to her, but, but again, sort of drawing, drawing on these memories and pulling it all together for chatting to you today uh just made I just suddenly realized that sort of correlation and thought wow isn't it isn't it interesting wow. yeah. yeah I mean I, I I certainly think that they're uh, for me and when I've spoken to other people about their favorite teachers um I I see so many connections between the teachers we become and the teachers that we relied on or idolized as as children Absolutely. I think we we draw so much from them and those connections it's um it's weird, isn't it, that that she left to pursue a craft profession, yeah. and, and so did you. But you know, maybe there is something in it, possibly. Yeah, yeah may, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, um, why don't you tell us your training route to become a teacher then, and and, and how you ended up in the classroom? Yeah. So I um, ended. So I took. Um, I did my A levels, and then I took a gap year, um, and then I went on to do a four year BA. Um, BA degree, BA honours degree, sorry, at Winchester University. What is Winchester University now? It was King Alfred's College at the time. Um, and I specialised in drama. Um, and I did my dissertation in how drama can um, influence children's writing. Um, so I did that. And then I left, um, I, I left with my 2-1 degree from Winchester and started at the school where I left four years ago. So I did 15 years teaching at the same school. Wow. I mean, how was that for you? Because that that's doesn't so commonly happen these days, I don't no. think. I'm just guessing there. And I did start my career in London. So I know in London, there's a lot more movement between schools. But I mean, yeah, I mean I'm in I'm London. Um, um, and I remember the head teacher that employed me saying, make the best piece of advice I can give you this was me just getting my new job at the school is don't <laughs> don't stay here for too long they always say that don't yeah. they and and actually looking back I can totally see why he said that but um it was more circumstances that m made me stay at the school I was at um it was a very I had a very varied career during my 15 years there and mm. actually I went part-time just after two I did two years full-time and then I went part-time because I had this craft hobby stroke business running in the background um which I'm now doing full-time so I did that um after only doing two years full-time teaching so then I was part-time and I did a bit in the classroom I did a bit of PPA cover a bit of supply teaching um and then I um I sort of increased my days a bit more 
And um, then I became the deputy head and then I did my Senko training at the school and, and became the Senko as well. So within that 15 years, it wasn't as if I just stayed as a, as a year five teacher in the same classroom in the same school, you know, it was. It yeah, was, well, it so, sounds like there were, there, you know, a, a lot of diversity in the, the roles that you did in, in the school across, across all of that time. Yeah. Um, and I think that even though we get told not to stay too long in, in our first school or in, in one spot, um, I think when you find the right school and the right team, sometimes yeah. it's, it's just so tempting to stay if it, yeah, you know, you know that the, the old saying if it's not broke don't fix it yeah um, I right. completely fell in love with the the first school I taught at um, but um, I, I was a teaching assistant to start with and they weren't able to train me on the job so I had to move on to another school that that would and it was it was pretty heartbreaking I must admit looking back I think had I have um trained at that school then I probably would still be there now I absolutely loved it but yeah. um, I'd be just like you I think 15 years in and and still there but yeah um, and may, I mean I don't know maybe if I'd moved around a little bit more I wouldn't have I wouldn't have uh, you know felt felt like I needed to sort of move on after 15 years and and pursue something completely different um but but who knows I mean I had some really really happy happy years over that 15 years and it became like a second home um and you know it was it, it was it's a really special still a very special time of you know of my life and I look back on it very very fondly. Lovely that's so nice to hear. Um, so why don't you tell us how you moved out of the classroom and um, if you use any of your transferable teacher skills that we're always being told we have <laughs> in um, your your new line of work. Yeah I told yeah I mean yeah without a doubt I use those skills. I'm now um, full time so having having sort of dabbled with a craft business in the background whilst part doing part time teaching i'm now full time um i own my own business called flying colors pottery which is a pottery painting business um so i sort of facilitate workshops um um pottery painting experiences and then i glaze and fire the pottery in my kiln which I have in the bottom of the garden in a workshop um and oh my lovely my mum would be very envious of oh, you well, hello, <laughs> hello Holly's mum I know she's listening so hello do check out Flying Colours Pottery on Instagram and have a look at all my bits and bobs um but yeah so I I definitely use my teaching skills I like I said I facilitate workshops so um organizational skills, planning, preparing, making sure I've got all the resources, making sure I've got that little something up my sleeve for those early finishers, you know, differentiating tasks. Um, and um, Gosh, yeah, I didn't think of all those things, differentiating things, extension yeah. tasks. It's it, it must just cross over quite naturally. Yeah, and actually it's funny because nor did I think about it until I spoke to my sister today, who, who as you know, has just, just arrived in the UK from America, hence my busy day. Um, she, she I, I was talking to her in the car on the way back from the airport, sort of saying saying what I was doing tonight. And um, and she was like, she was like reeling off all these things. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I do do that. And I think when you're a teacher, it sort of comes so naturally to you that um, um, I, I didn't sort of really break it down like that. But yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, just just having an awareness of learners, really, whether they're children or adults, um, breaking down that process step by step and coaching them through the process so that they really mm. do end up with something at the end that they're really proud of and really, you know, satisfied with. So, um, and and then all the organization and background stuff that goes on with that, all the plate spinning that quite literally goes on. Yeah. 
um, <laughs> in real life here. But, yes, know, well, I can empathise with that, certainly. Yeah. yeah, so, um, you know, it stands you in good stead, I think. And, yeah. uh, you know, once a teacher, always a teacher. And I really do think, you know, feel that I certainly haven't um, shut the door on teaching. It's, you know, it's... Um, given me um a lot of skills to take forward into what I'm doing now yeah and by and and but on all accounts it's it's in your blood well so... there we go. I can't <laughs> I can't shut the door on it it will be with me forever <laughs> oh Charlotte it has been so nice to um oh, thanks, to, to hear your story and um I you sent me some really gorgeous black and white photos of yeah. your um your ancestors so m maybe with your permission I I might be able to share them on social media maybe can I yeah, ask I'm you sure. let me, I'll, I'll just double check with my mum I'm sure she'd be happy with that but let me just double check and I'll um and I'll, I'll get back to you to, to let you know but yeah no yeah. They're, they're gorgeous photos um and and you know really special to have so it would be lovely if other people could get to see those yeah too. absolutely lovely so thank you so much Charlotte absolutely. um yeah, thanks for inviting it, me it's along. been a great 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 chat and like I said I probably will call you up again sometime and just be like tell me some more about well, this I, I love the work you've been doing as well Holly I've been <laughs> you know you've been a really real inspiration during lockdown so well done you oh thank you so much that's so kind <laughs> no worries uh, right so um somehow we've got to end this call I guess <laughs> yeah we need to work that I think that you probably just I think I, I do know. by end yeah I can see where to do it I think hang up okay and okay. Um, I'm going to go to an advert to give me um a little breather that I've got my first guest done things seem to be going smoothly mum is watching or listening um and people seem to be liking the show so um yeah it's all going well so uh I'm going to head over to the adverts and after the adverts I will be speaking to Felix Oviedo who is a Spanish teacher in London and he kind of accidentally fell into teaching um, whilst studying abroad. So uh, we're going to hear his story after the adverts. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Every teacher loves stationery, right? Imagine getting a selection of fun, beautiful and unique stationery items designed and selected especially for teachers delivered through your door every month. You need to check out teacherslovestationery.club. I'm always so excited when the box arrives. It's such a treat. My Teachers Love Stationery Club box is just a little treat to myself every month. 
It's always full of delightful and surprising items, including some really good quality stationery brands. And because you never know what you're going to get, it makes it even more fun and special when you get it. Visit teachersloveStationery.club and enter the code TTRADIO when you buy your first stationery box to save £2 today. TeachersloveStationery.club Okay, right. So those were the adverts. Um, <laughs> so uh, before we talk to Felix Oviedo, which I'm really looking forward to, um, just a few comments that we've had in the chat. So we've got people um, popping into the chat, leaving their comments, saying hello. Uh, so um, we've got, let's see. Well, of course, as I said earlier, my lovely mum is, is, is tuning in to Teachers Talk Radio this evening, all the way from her holiday in Cornwall with um, Uncle Tony and Auntie Jackie. They say hi too. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, Lara says, how did you manage to become an English teacher without Jennifer Yellow Hat in your childhood? I have no idea who this Jennifer Yellow Hat is. Um, someone educate me tell me more share it in the chat i i i need to know about this um will it will it improve my teaching practice or is it something i should know that i've just not remembered from my childhood um right uh lara says we've got this was your first show it sounds great thank you so much lara yes it's my first show um and unlike all of my other first Facebook Live, first Instagram Live, they were all 10 minutes, 30 minutes, kind of just winged it a little bit as you do. Um, but can't really wing an hour and a half on the radio that all of the other really credible people in your profession um, can listen to. So um, yeah, had to be a little bit smooth this time. So going well. Right. So um, I haven't got Felix calling in just yet but as soon as Felix calls in um, we're going to hear his story about how he accidentally came into teaching uh, so hopefully Felix if you're listening ah oh, yes there we go Felix is calling in so did that work you might need to call again Felix Okay, here we go. Hello. Hello. Hello, Felix. Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. Hello. How are Hello. you? Uh, do you know what? It's really good to talk to you, Felix. So I should probably say first before we, we get chatting, um, the school I mentioned earlier, my very first school where I was a teaching assistant um, that I absolutely loved. We met very briefly working together at that school. Didn't yes, we? that's correct. Um, so that was some years ago now. And um, I, mean, I don't think I've seen you since, although we have stayed in touch over social media, um, as you do throughout the years. But it really is when you told me your, your route to the, into the classroom um, a few days ago, when you said that you would, would love to come on and talk about it, I was really quite blown away. I, I just hadn't expected that from you I kind of just assumed that you loved you were great with kids so I just assumed that you love kids you you know you loved being in the classroom you were a little bit of a performer um and you <laughs> naturally became a teacher but it seems um that wasn't necessarily 
the case. So um, why don't you, um, uh, let's start with you telling us about your studies and um, and how they took you to studying overseas and how you ended up um, discovering teaching. Okay, so I was a bit of a nerd uh, when I was in uni. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, quite. So I was like always like uh, honors, degrees and stuff like that. So I got this scholarship to uh, uh, to go to America for uh, for a year. Uh, the the deal with uh, with the scholarship is like I, I was supposed to teach two classes and I could take two classes. Um, obviously, if I wanted to go to pursue like a master's degree, I could take um, uh, graduate classes, mm. which I did. Uh, but uh, the whole point for me was just like improving my English, uh, getting some work done, getting my master's degree. Like the whole part of uh, teaching. It's kind of like I was forced into it, and I thought, you know, I'll just do it, whatever. I just, I, it's, it's part of what were I you have dreading to do. it to start with? I mean, were you like, oh god, I've got to do this just because it's going to pay? For yeah, your, it felt it felt a bit like a punishment. It was like, oh, you know, that's the the part of the deal. I'm going to have to bite the bullet and just do it. Mm. Um, uh, funny enough, uh, as I mentioned to you before, is uh, um. I felt the responsibility of, of what I was doing. Suddenly, day after day, I was in front of 30-odd people, uh, and I could not wing it. Uh, that's, uh, that's when you suddenly you have the fear for it. Uh, you have the respect for it. And uh, I thought, oh, listen, this is not the bad part. This is actually the good part. I, I need to enjoy this too because I can learn so much from what I'm doing here in front of them. And, um, because you are forced, aren't you, into preparation and yeah. and doing things properly when you've got a class of, of of learners in front of you. And I and I suppose would you say more so because they were all I'm I'm um am I right in thinking they were all undergraduate students? Yeah, they were undergraduate students. So grown ups though, still aren't they? So you know they can they can catch you out. They can tell if you've had one hour's sleep and haven't prepared anything. <laughs> So something that they didn't know is, or they didn't know at, uh, back at the moment, is that um, I wasn't that much older than them. So I, I it's like really when I start, I start, uh, start to grow in my beard. So I would look older, and I would dress really formal. So they will think I was, you know, he's a professor, he's a teacher. Yeah. Uh, I create that distance. It wasn't really there. Like I, I was uh, twenty three. And some of them were 18, 19. So it was literally four years apart. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't much more than that. And um, it, it went really fast from uh, looking at the clock and being like, oh, my God, like my class is in five minutes. I'm completely panic. Uh, to, oh my, oh, my God, my class started five minutes ago and I'm still not there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So because I was so relaxed about it, I was enjoying it so much. It was such fun to, to actually do it. But again, it was the responsibility of it, like thinking I need to prepare my classes, the ones that I'm, I'm a student in. And I, ha I had a lot of work on, uh, for my master's degree. That I had so to what do. was your master's degree, Felix, that you were uh, studying? My master's degree was in English. I'm, as oh, you know, okay. I'm a, a trained English teacher, not, uh, not a language teacher. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. Um, so you were doing an English master's degree in um, at what university was that at? 
uh, is uh, Saint Bonaventure University, is uh, Franciscan University in uh, uh, Western New York. Okay. Oh, fantastic! Did you have a fabulous time? I did. I, I have to say, I was quite busy with my studies, and I was really serious about it. I, I was quite committed. But you know the environment and uh, the friends. Uh, I was part of the um, uh, international association of students. Uh, I have friends from all over the world now. I have friends that, I, and I keep in touch with them. Like obviously in America, but like in China, in Russia, in uh, the Philippines, in Thailand, in Australia, in South Africa, and I, wow. keep, I keep in touch with all of them. And that's something I think that um, studying abroad really gives people doesn't it it does give you those connections um all over the world it gives you a sofa to crash on almost anywhere doesn't it yeah a little bit <laughs> <laughs> so uh you were doing your english masters and you were what classes were you teaching to the undergraduates was it spanish or, or uh, yeah the first year uh, was uh, spanish 101 and spanish 102 like the first term and the second term so like quite basic like the numbers the colors telling time uh, but i thought it was a responsibility again because i thought if i do it right not only they will take 102 with me they will go further and take 201 202 the following year maybe continue doing like a double major doing spanish and something else so i thought if i don't do it well that's going to be my fault. If they don't get Spanish uh, students for next year, that's going to be my fault. Oh, wow. So it's that that uh, sense of personal responsibility over their academic success, but also, um, you know, the institution that you're you're teaching for, their um, success and continued numbers and growth, I suppose. was did, did you feel a lot of pressure or was it just the personal responsibility? Uh, it's kind of like uh, the American style is quite laid back. Uh, so my my boss, my head of department, uh, Fran Bianco, who I, I, I still keep in touch with, uh, uh, he was just really relaxed. Uh, I was supposed to be a teaching assistant, but I wasn't. I had my own classes. Nobody ever bothered to come and see what I was doing. Trusted <laughs> me. So they knew no what... Ofsted then in your... <laughs> no, no, no. But they realized that I was so stressed about it. It was like, he's doing a good job. <laughs> That's, uh, well, that, I, I think that, um, the stress and showing that you care about what you're teaching. I think that's a big signal that you're, you're putting in everything you've got. And, you know, we all know that and everything you've got is the best you can do, isn't it? It's the very best you can do. Um, so this group of students, do you have any, uh, did they all pass? Um, uh, you know, did they all stay on to do further Spanish modules? And, and tell us how that then made you, you know, how did you get from there to being in the London suburbs in a secondary school um, teaching GCSE Spanish? Tell me. That's a long, that's a long story. <laughs> uh, some of well, them. Well, we've got, we've got about 10 minutes. Okay. So, uh, we, no, some we of them. go down that route. <laughs> some of these students, yes, they continue with uh, studying Spanish. Some of them actually married uh, uh, Latino people. So. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I keep in touch with them and they tell me, oh my God, Felix, I thank you so much for what you did. Like I, I would not have met my wife if, uh, if I didn't know in Spanish. And wow, I feel like good really job you took that personal that. responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> <I have laughs> there might be who... some children in the world that wouldn't exist yeah, I, I if it do. wasn't for I your have, teaching. Uh, <laughs> a couple of students who met in my class 
and they married and they have two kids now. It's like, I'm responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So sorry, I, I, I digress. Tell us how you, you went from uh, that teaching experience to then becoming the, the teacher that you are today. So after that, after finishing my master's degree, I came back to Spain. Uh, uh, I was teaching uh, different jobs. Uh, I started working at a cultural center uh, and I was doing language uh, there, but like I was doing English as a foreign language. Uh, but I thought the job was cu- quite limited. Like they didn't think uh, uh, big and uh, I wanted to make more I'm, I'm out of the job. So every year we introduce new stuff like, uh, uh, I started doing also French classes. Uh, I started helping people to get into the uh, university access exam in Spain. People who had never been to school, like trained them into English so they could access their uh, basic uh, high school degree diploma that they never got. Okay. Uh, it sounds very much like you you you've sort you sort of um, you know latched onto that personal responsibility to give. Um, your best to someone to help them to do their best. Am I, am I right in thinking that? I think so. It's just like I felt like uh, uh, I felt the vocation. I felt the call of of, of teaching, uh, of uh, the, the the reward of uh, giving, and lot lot of it was quite altruistically. Um, you know, I, I tried to teach English. I don't know how much I succeed. I succeeded with that uh, to a, a Russian couple. They didn't speak any uh, Spanish. I didn't speak any Russian. So <laughs> we all ended up learning a little <laughs> bit of, of everything, of English, Russian, and Spanish. Fabulous. <laughs> uh, then the situation, the economical crisis in Spain uh, really started to hit. And uh, I was looking for uh, options out of it. And uh, to become a high school teacher in Spain, you have to... Uh, pass uh, a state uh, uh, exam and one of the lessons that you have to prepare is uh, understanding the American educational system and the British educational system. Mm. I had been in America so I knew about it but I had never been in England and I, I, I was really confused how do you go from key stage three to key stage four and then to sixth form. So I thought okay three, four and six. What is number five? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. That's that's uh, a little bit confusing, isn't it? Yeah. So I I posted in a forum uh, asking for that, and a friend of mine now, my, my friend Paul, uh, he said, oh, "Oh, well, you know, this is like old terminology. Actually, sixth form is the is, is key stage five. Uh, so we started talking. Oh, where are you from? I'm from Seville. I'm from Spain. Uh, what do you teach? I teach English here as a foreign language. Oh, I'm teaching music. Um, so send me a picture of your classroom. How do you do it in there? And obviously I showed him how we just have like a chalkboard, no intelligent boards and nothing like that, no technology. And uh, when the situation become, became worse and worse, he said like, you know, I think that your, uh, your curriculum is quite uh, marketable. And if you could, uh, maybe you could try and get a job in England if you wanted to, like maybe London. So he kind of helped me a little bit at first. Mm. Helped he me planted with that seed, didn't he? Yeah. It was like he put the curiosity of, of coming to London in me. And, uh, you know, like I, I tried a couple of times. It was back when the, uh, this uh, accident with the 
volcanic cloud uh, from Iceland was happening and I couldn't fly. I had an interview that I missed because of that. And, uh, but I finally got a job here. I actually got a couple of interviews, uh, since I, uh, uh, from living in Spain. And then I decided to come over here, find a job in here and, and settle. And the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I started as an English teacher, as you know. Like my first two schools, I was doing English. Uh, but uh, one of the parts that I didn't like about the uh, teaching English here is that uh, I loved Shakespeare and uh, I loved teaching poetry. And uh, teaching year 11 was just like rushing them through the curriculum so they could mm. access the material to get to the assessment. Yeah. And is it not like that then in Spain? Are they given more time to enjoy how enriching literature is before having to um, be tested? Yeah, it's not so test-based um, and um, testing is not um, set by, by the government or by uh, examining boards. Uh, so the, te the students that are good, uh, they, they, they study because of, they want to learn because uh, they love what they're doing. So if, if you get reading into them, they become really good readers and uh, they, they don't do it because they have to pass the test. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I, that's how I feel all teaching and, and learning should be, you know, if we instill that, that curiosity and that love of learning in them and they are readers and they are exploring literature and, and so on that that naturally gives them the skills that they need to be successful in exams. You would hope. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I always tell them, you know, if you, if you learn, you will pass, but if you pass, doesn't mean that you learned. Yes. <laughs> that is a good way of putting it. Um, so why don't you tell us, um, just uh, tell, tell me some of your favourite moments from the classroom before we, before I sadly have to let you go. Uh, one crucial moment for me was teaching at the beginning. And uh, I had a, a kid in my class, uh, Scott McKay. He was fantastic in lesson. He would like participate 100% in the lesson, but then he will test really poorly. Mm. And um, I was not uh, a, a veteran teacher that I am now, like with 24 years of experience. Uh, but I thought there's something wrong uh, because obviously he's trying, he's trying his best and he still doesn't succeed in passing his uh, exams. So uh, I suggested to like test him. Yeah, we, we went to the learning center in the, at the university and uh, what was in, really weird for me is like somebody who was as fresh and as, as new as me realized that there was something wrong in there that we could help that kid with. Mm. And uh, they didn't realize that he was dyslexic until he got to university. Oh, wow. I imagine it being, I mean, it, it does happen, doesn't it? But it's being left that late. Fortunately, I think that happens less now than it, it you know, it did going back 10, 20, 30 or, or more years. But, um, wow, what, what, how did that make you feel to know that you'd picked up on that? Uh, it made me feel that I was doing the right thing. <laughs> Do you think that that um, sort of rein reinforced your um, passion to stay within sort of teaching and... and I, I, that's, that's one of the moments in which I felt that that was the call. I was like... I'm doing the right thing. Like I, I, I'm going to change that kid's life. I could change 
the, the life of many kids be, uh, after that one. Yeah, I think we all have those moments, don't we, where, you know, that quite early on in your career and you you do make that big difference to a child. And when you get that that buzz, that that sort of high feeling, knowing that you've made such a quite a dramatic difference, it, you can't walk away from the profession, I think, after that. Not immediately anyway, eventually. Um, but oh, what a lovely moment to tell us about. Thank you so much, Felix. Um, so, you know, I'm going to have to um, bring this really interesting chat to a close because I do need to get the news um, read out before we move on to speak to Lara from Theatre of Science. So I hope, Felix, that you'll stick around and listen to uh, Lara's story. Um, I will. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen any of her lessons on, on Facebook Live or yeah, anything. Yes, I have. Yes, I have, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, she's, a, she's viral, so I think most people have seen um, Lara's brilliant lessons. But Felix, thank you so much for, for speaking to me this evening. You've made me feel so at ease as well, given that it's my, my first show. So it's been nice to speak to um, essentially an old friend. Um, not that you're, <laughs> old, you that you're an old friend. <laughs> um, right. Well, I hope to speak to you again soon, Felix. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Uh, right, so as I said, it's time now to move over to the news. And then after the news, we will be speaking to Lara from Theatre of Science. Uh, now, the news is a few minutes long, so you've got a very short window, window to go and Google um, Theatre of Science. And once you've Googled it, feel free to come and uh, give me a question for Lara. I I'm quite happy to ask her your questions. She is a viral online science teacher. Um, she her lessons have gone absolutely nuts um, during lockdown and they're just hugely popular from children age five six upwards all the way to adults I'm not going to lie I do sit and watch the shows by myself sometimes I'm not sitting watching them with children they're just really interesting and really funny and well put together um, so any questions for Lara pop them into the chat and when I'm speaking to her um, I will I'll try and get you the answers This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, from the 20th of September, all staff working in schools will be able to access a toolkit of LGBTQ inclusive teaching resources and will have to complete a basic awareness course. LGBTQ history and topics will now be taught and integrated into everyday learning, making Scotland the first country in the world to make this mandatory. John Swinney, Deputy First Minister, praised the changes when they were confirmed earlier in the year, saying, Scotland is already considered one of the most progressive countries in Europe for LGBTQ plus equality. Schools in Norfolk have been impacted by the ongoing fuel crisis with some fearing the return to online lessons. 
Some children who rely on special school transport arrangements have been unable to get to class. A Norfolk County Council spokesperson said, We are aware of a very few incidences where taxi drivers providing home to school transport have not been able to get fuel and are doing all we can to ensure that suitable transport remains in place. School buses have been unaffected so far, but there are 13,000 pupils in Norfolk who are eligible for funded transport to school. Former local head Jeff Barton, now General Secretary of the ASCL Head Teachers Union said, the last thing schools need is the added pressure of fuel shortages with the potential for this to mean that staff, pupils and suppliers are unable to get to school. Research conducted by SmartPurse has shown that despite financial education being included in the national curriculum since 2014, their children's financial literacy is still a concern for many parents. Guy Rigdon, CEO of MyBank, said barely a third of 7 to 17 year olds say they have received any form of money lessons. We cannot continue creating generations of young adults who don't know how to save or make informed decisions. For marginalised groups such as girls and young women, the margins are just too thin. It drives inequality and blights mental health. This has been your daily education news briefing. Okay, so that was the news. Um, so we will be talking to Lara from Theatre of Science very shortly. But just before we do, I thought I'd share some <laughs> some sweet little comments that I had from the students in my literary analysis class last night. So on a Wednesday, I hold um, what I call Analyse This, where children from nine to 13, that sort of age range, um, they come along and we look at an extract and we analyse it. And I asked them to uh, stay back for a couple of minutes after the class and um, tell me what makes a teacher happy. Um, so as you can imagine, there were a, a, a collection of hot coffee, listening skills, um, all of the obvious things. Um, and lots of really sweet little answers too. So we also had answers such as um, um, being kind. And also my favourite one was apples. Um, and that came from Olivia, who is eight. Um, and it made me chuckle. What makes teachers happy? Apples. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to need a bag of apples, I think, after this. <laughs> so, uh, oh, Leanne says chocolate in the cupboard for quick nibbles. Yes. Um, I've, I've actually got some next to me, but I'm too scared <laughs> to eat any in between because I'm a little bit worried there isn't a mute button on my microphone um, and you don't need to hear me chomping away on my Caramac. Right, so um, Lara, if you're listening, it'd be lovely if you could call in and um, I, th I think, are we doing this? Is that how it is? Have I invited you? Will we be talking soon? Hello. 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 
Lara. Hi. Oh, do you know, as I said, earlier, I'm going to have my fangirl moment now. It's so nice <laughs> to <laughs> It was so nice listening to your, your like, little spiel about me before I came on. It's like, gosh, she's so much better at this than me. <laughs> when people ask me what I do, I just go, oh, you know, just like, te teach, uh, <laughs> teach like on the computer. <laughs> It is a little yeah, bit like that. Like, I find it hard to um, it, it, it sort of explain what I do. And actually, in fact, when I had Hello. my training for teaching, Hello? are we still there? Hello? Oh, no. I can Not hear you, Lara. Have you muted yourself? Wait. Hello? Hello? Oh, oh how embarrassing. Right, let's see if we can disconnect. <laughs> I'm just looking at people's comments. I think that's your mum saying um, wine. Yeah, my mum's suggesting wine um, might actually be. We can hear you. Oh, good. How do we sort this out? Oh, wait. You're back. Chat, You're actually. back. Ah, lovely. Okay. I'm not Sorry. quite sure what, what happened there, This Lara. is brilliant, isn't it? It's just two, two viral online teachers. <laughs> <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong? Um, so for those of you that... Um, hadn't heard of me as, as in English with Holly or Lara before this evening. Um, we both went uh, viral with our teaching offering at the start of lockdown. Um, we didn't know each other. Uh, we've still not met in person, but we kind of, uh, us and uh, uh, Steph, um, who did live maths lessons at the same time and also went viral, we all started messaging each other saying, oh my God, this is crazy. Is it crazy <laughs> you? How are you finding it? How are you coping? How do you do this? How do you set up events? How do you do your live streams? And we all just sort of, the three of us came together um, as just a wicked group of women who, you know, loved our subjects and, and were just trying to do the best we could during um, lockdown. But um, were, especially in the early days, and it seems now too, uh, fraught with technical problems and um, just winging it and wobbling through, um, you know, what we were doing, trying to help. That, literally thousands, didn't they, Lara? Thousands tuned in to our lessons in the first lockdown. Oh, yeah, it was, I was, yeah. It's, it's so weird, isn't it? Like, you suddenly realise how, like what goes on in the brain of a millionaire where like obviously it's massively dropped off now but there was sort of a couple of weeks it's like god only 800 people oh what have I done wrong oh how do I how do I get more um well you're not doing too badly when I pop in to see your your live classes there's there's always lots of people um joining in and you you have the the science alliance but we will we will come to that so um in your own words what is theatre of science? Oh, wow! Well, I didn't give you a, a warning. God, that's that a lot, isn't it? It's it's just it's it's just me turning on a Facebook live stream every, uh, twice a week with a lesson or a show that I've planned, and anyone. It's the weirdest business model. I couldn't have imagined this business model. It's just I do all my lessons online for free anyone who's got a Facebook account can watch them for free and they're all saved in my video section so you can watch those for free as well and in my group I upload every week like an optional printout so anyone who's got a printer can like have the worksheets in front of them and that's free as well and then uh, people who come you know and regularly and enjoy it obviously a kind of lesson with worksheets is already a product that a lot of people are used to paying for so if they want to pay me um, instead of you know, me having to have like 10 people on Zoom and them all paying me 
a tenner, people who want to go to to Patreon, which people who are listening to this might have heard of because it's a more a podcast thing, isn't it? Like the, how you support mm. people who do things for free. So people who want to uh, support me on Patreon with three or five or ten pounds a month, and I write a magazine. Um, because husband is a graphic designer, so that worked out well. So we produce this magazine every two months that gets posted. So anyone who supports me with five pounds a month. So yeah, it's like everything is free, but you can choose to pay me for my lessons if you want. And enough people come that I am making a living. It's, but they're getting quite good value as well. It's um, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to be able to um, teach what you love in the way that you love teaching it without any of the constraints of um, the school system or being in the classroom and being able to actually um, say, I'm making enough now that this is my main job. Oh, it's un- it's unbelievable. I mean, I said in the lesson the other day, it's like, you know, this is my dream job. And then I said, actually, it's not, I couldn't possibly have dreamed of a job. Like my, I had a dream the other day, like where my house flooded. It's not, that's, I couldn't have imagined a job as good as this. Uh, I have those moments too, actually. And, and frequently to my mum, who I know is listening, I, I might screenshot a news article about me or, or or something and or when I re- recently wrote an article for the for the week junior and um I, I sent her it and I I said two years ago I could never have imagined that I would be living my dream job right now um it's just it, it's insane and it's I think for both of us Laura it's really nice that um you know we really did throw ourselves out there um during the first lockdown and were really open to criticism as well I I know for you but for me also there were people saying oh you spelt that wrong or this isn't going fast enough pace for my child and you know we just did it and actually helping that many people during such a tough time has well the universe has repaid us hasn't it yeah it's so interesting like I it's been such an interesting psychology. Like there's absolutely no way that I would have just turned on a Facebook live stream and been like, do you know what people want? People probably want to hear me talking about science. Like there are so many good teachers out there and there's so many incredibly slick YouTube videos. But yeah, you just, you sort of just find a niche, don't you? And uh, I I think think it was such an amazing situation that there was an actual need. Like how often do people need you to do anything? You know, before I was teaching, I was acting. Like no one needs anybody to do acting. (laughs) Any job that I went for, there were like literally hundreds of small brown haired girls who would do a perfectly good job if I wasn't there. So, yeah, I mean, for like all the horrors for me, COVID was just someone needed me to do something which is just the most amazing feeling yeah I I wonder we've never really spoken about this side of it before but um did you find doing because you've got small children I've got small children lockdown was you know a tough gig for everyone but um in some ways it was a different kind of tough gig if you had little children at home um did you find doing this kept you positive focused I don't know energy how did it how did it transform your lockdown in a positive way but more I'm I'm talking more mentally rather than you know yeah well just massive distraction like I feel I was just so busy like I'm sure you were the same I was I mean I can't believe it now I suppose it really helped that 
you know, I didn't have to like get up at a certain time the next morning or put makeup on or do any of that like boring stuff that you just take for granted when the world's sort of normal. But I would just be up at like, I'd just be up at two o'clock in the morning, like in my kitchen, lighting candles to try and work out how you could get this activity to work and replying to messages. And I just, I wasn't, wasn't even watching the news, you know, any kind of sense of horror or I just, I feel like I'm sort of probably going to need counseling in a few years time because it's suddenly going to hit me what <laughs> happened because I was just so busy, which I guess was the same for all teachers. Like, oh my goodness. I mean, how busy are yes. this compared to how busy school teachers were? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I think that they had it a lot worse than we did um, that, because they had hundreds of parents all demanding different things and, oh. and all of that expectation of, of having to recreate what they normally do in the classroom, but, you know, in some way online or through worksheets or other like, teaching resources and materials, whereas we just went, well, just going to just going to do this and see what happens. And, and well, yeah, and the beauty freedom. of our stuff was that if people didn't like it, they could just turn off. Like I was watching. And we didn't lose our jobs. No, exactly. I was they watching did. my son's teacher, like having already taught a lesson for the kids that were the children of key workers, so were in school, then having to do a job twice online. But obviously to all the parents watching, you're just you're sort of assuming, oh, well, this is what she's like as a teacher, you know. If she gets something wrong or she fumbles over something, mm, she's not a very good teacher. It's like, imagine mm. having to do your job suddenly in front of an enormous audience and using all this technology for the first time. Like, of course it wouldn't be anything like the same. No, no, absolutely. You're right. Um, so I did invite you on to talk about how you became a teacher and how becoming a teacher then led you on to creating theatre of science so I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about um, how and why you became a teacher. Oh yeah well I was working as an actor in London I used the term working and actor very loosely and then and just got fed up with there just being no need for me there were so many other people who were so good at the job and you've got to have so much drive and want it so hard and know that you're better than everybody else. I just didn't have that at all. So I, I just decided that I wanted to do the opposite of acting. Um, and the opposite of acting is, is having a job, and a job that someone will pay you to do like every month and a routine. And um, I really wanted to use my brain again. I'd been really academic at school and I was just so tired of just studying stuff that had come out of somebody's head, like just living in the world of everything is made up. So physics was kind of the opposite of that. Or so I thought, obviously now I know that science is all about imagination and acting is all about analysing. They're all, you know, there's no such thing as subjects really. But at the time, physics teaching was just exactly what I wanted because it was performative but it was helping and there definitely was a need. And, and also a, kind of conveniently for me with that need came the government giving you loads of money uh, to train. <laughs> like I couldn't have afforded to train as a teacher of anything other than physics or food technology. Um, Leanne in the chat has just said that teaching is most definitely acting. Mm. Um, and I definitely think there is, um, my degree is drama and English. So we both have this sort of performance um, thing sort of hovering behind what we do in our live lessons, I think. Um, but do, do you think that you use a lot of your acting skills when you're teaching or? Well, I, 
I do. Yeah, I do. But I do think that kind of does teaching a massive disservice as well. Like, I know a lot of, I know, like, that. it's so much more than that, isn't it? Anyone yeah. who is a teacher knows that, that actually, well, like, I think lockdown really showed that I just keep, you know, popping up in my Facebook stream keeps being like Brian Cox, who is teaching everyone a lesson today. And I click onto it. And it's like, Brian, you're just explaining stuff. You're just performing to camera an explanation. I'm not teaching. And actually, it's, it's really rude to say that it is. Um, yeah, no, so I can I, see what you're saying. Yeah. And, and also, I, I think acting as well is there's, in my mind, acting is not fake I'm, I'm looking for for the right words but it, it, it's not real there's, there's, there's it's not a, a a natural reality and I don't know if teaching well for me anyway when I was in the classroom I felt like I was being a real version of me and connecting with my students and and acting maybe I was acting more if there was a lesson observation for example uh, of a, you know a performance I don't know yeah you definitely got the same kind of adrenaline rush and you've got the performative element of it but yeah you're right you have to be yourself as well don't you yeah I suppose it needs to be a balance of of acting and being your your real self so that you can connect um with your learners and build those those relationships so um you decided to train as a physics teacher um had you always loved physics no it was the only oh like I say I was really I was, I was, school was dead easy for me. Like everything just sort of came quite, you know, I was just a massive geek, obviously. Um, but I really didn't like physics at all because it was just a classic, it was just our generation's classic, just old, you know, man, obviously. Like just, I don't even remember him turning around from the blackboard because it was a blackboard and chalk and just maths. I honestly thought until I was about 27 that physics was just maths on a blackboard. And then, such a cliche, like, watched a Brian Cox documentary about the universe. And was like, what? Oh, wow. Like, while me and all my drama school mates were staring at the sky going, whoa, what's it all about, man? It's like, no, some people are actually trying to answer those questions. Like, some people are paid to really in-depth answer what's out there. Like, you don't just have to, you don't just have to guess. So 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 do you credit Brian Cox as as being that moment that I think actually yeah yeah because he's sort of just more you know he's just an average average guy isn't he with like a sort of dodgy haircut and I didn't know that physicists could be like that which sounds really old-fashioned now like I think now hopefully kids are much more aware that all aspects of science are sort of quite cool and useful yeah oh absolutely and I think um for for kids in school at the moment you know there's been there's so much drive to get girls into STEM subjects as well and and people like you Lara I mean I really think you're you're an important role model for for well for all children but for for young girls as well to see you know a, a, a young woman um doing science yeah the studies are interesting the studies are fascinating, actually. So the the Institute of Physics have done a lot of work into why is it that so few girls are studying physics? And actually, simply having a female teacher is, is not enough. Um, but we know that it's not an innate thing in females, because if you look at all girls schools, um, the, there's far more like a very typical number. It's not like in all girls schools, they don't teach A-level physics because no one wants to do it, where where females are in an all-female environment, as many of them study physics further as you would, as the males do. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. 
So I, but it can't, it can't hurt, right? <laughs> For me no. to, to, to be. Uh, I'm just thinking aware. maybe I need to do another show and, and we maybe go down the, the rabbit hole of talking about all of that because I, I, I think it's really interesting. It's a well, really it is interesting a, topic. I mean, I, the, one of the saddest comments I've ever had, and it was meant so nicely with someone saying, um, oh, my daughter's here and she says that now she's seen you, she wants to be a lady scientist. <laughs> and oh, I didn't gosh. sort of say, you can just say scientist. But like, how is a... How has like an eight-year-old already picked up on the fact that scientists are men and if you want to be a scientist and you're a female, you have to like phrase it differently? So, but yeah, there's Well, that's, thank God we've got people like you, Lara, because that's, you oh, know, right. and not just you. <laughs> I'm just going to keep fangirling for like the, the rest of the show. But not just you, but all of those fabulous um, science teachers out there, men and women that are really promoting stem topics to young girls and the female um science teachers that are really sort of being those role models as well so talking about teacher role models uh, who oh. was your favorite teacher at school and do you, um do you think you might have embodied uh, some elements of them because when i was talking to charlotte earlier we were saying we sort of do draw little bits of our favorite teachers and uh use them in our teaching style I know. And I saw Felix saying that and I thought, I feel awful that I have nothing. <laughs> like, I can't remember any. My teachers were fine. I was in a really difficult class. My class were extremely well behaved. It wasn't anything to do with me, but there was just a lot of distraction and bless them. They did their best. But it was really only when I started teacher training. I mean, I've got so many heroes from my teacher training. I just couldn't believe Do you want to shout these... a couple of them out? Ah. Oh, just remember Matt. Matt used to sit next to me and bless him, he would put up with just this, this like constant landslide of my nonsense spilling over onto his desk. He's just a really good physics teacher. And I used to just, he used just to answer to all my questions. And I used to, if he was on duty, I'd just follow him around with a pen and paper, like getting notes from him about the lesson I was teaching next. And just so people, teachers are just so great, aren't they? They just really want everyone to be good at what they want to be good at he used to just come and watch and then give me feedback and then just I don't know yeah I just want I just wanted to be uh to be Matt really like <laughs> I couldn't put my finger on it but obviously when like it's science isn't it you look at Matt's results throughout the year and his kids just got really good results and it wasn't because he knew how like how to teach to GCSE because they kept changing the syllabus as we know it was just that the kids just really liked him and understood what he was saying. It was like some kind of dark magic. <laughs> it's like this, this weird combination that like both my tutors had and the best teachers that I've worked with of like humour and self-deprecation, but sort of sternness. I don't know. So I he think was, that's part Matt of your style, though. <laughs> Possibly. I don't feel very Maybe stern. Not <laughs> but, um, like but this is... Well, this is a beautiful thing about online teaching, and this is why I always feel sort of really awkward and embarrassed. Although it's obviously beautiful when people say, "Like, oh, you're an amazing teacher." This is not, this is not teaching. This is a definite skill in itself that has to be learned, but it's not the same as teaching because there is no behaviour management here. There's no time management. Like, I always say that what I do is probably fifty percent busking. I think. It's just a different product, isn't it? Like they can, people come and they can leave at any time. So you have to keep way, them all engaged. Well, isn't it? So you can't correct those misconceptions. Um, or if you do, then you're potentially embarrassing, you know, a, a poor seven-year-old child somewhere in the world in front of hundreds of people online. You just can't do that, <laughs> well, can you? You can't say, well, you're 
you can say you're wrong. You yeah, you very, can. You totally you get better can. at it, though. I think I think I've learned how to correct misconceptions publicly um, over the last year and a half. Have well, you? and even we have a different product, don't we? Because obviously, you can see your students and presumably everyone else can see your students as well whereas for my students a lot of them are using like maybe an adult's profile photo and, and name or I maybe don't even know their name so it's it I think they probably feel quite safe it feels like we've kind of I, suppose you I, have I think strangers. home strangers not not strange strangers you have more um <laughs> uh, anonymous people I should say that that can come into your lessons and, and interact with you through the chat whereas like you say my of course yeah. now is is I can see their faces and I get to know them and actually I know a bit more about what makes each of those learners tick you know? yeah so it's, it is different but I suppose that that's this is a nice little segue into talking about before we uh, tie up the science alliance and I think this is um oh, really beautiful nice. because <laughs> so many people say you cannot make the same connections with online teaching that you can in the classroom and I get that and I agree with that to an extent but I think having become you know solely online um, and I've got some students now working with me that you know tuned into my very first lesson at the start of lockdown um, I feel like I've built some relationships so why don't you tell everybody what science alliance is and why it's so special <laughs> okay yeah well I'm like you I've obviously there are people who have been watching since the very first time I went live in March 2020 and there's there's new people coming all the time but yeah I basically just do whatever they want um and and <laughs> generally the parents are home educating parents so they're quite engaged a lot of them are watching along so they've got topics that the, they want their children to learn and the children are very vocal about what they want to learn as well. But yeah, so they just called themselves the, the Science Alliance. Like at the end of the lesson, there was inevitably just 15 minutes of chat and that's when all the best ideas come out. So they call themselves the Science Alliance. We have a mascot now, that's quite new. A worm <laughs> who wears a shoe, Olivia at age eight. I don't know if it's the same one. It uh, might they, be. They're yeah, going to make a plushy toy. Um, we're going to have t-shirts. But anyway, yeah, it's just, so there's a real regular there's a real regular like gang that come and they're so supportive of each other. And there's this real like sense of resilience. And until you've said that out loud about people say you couldn't get, can't get the same relationship with people online. I would have said that that was true, but actually it's a really unique thing because there's a constant chat stream going like constant. And it really took me by surprise and it took me a long time to get used to, but now I couldn't live without it because it's almost like, you know, you're in a, obviously in a classroom, um, who who you get responses from is very much kind of decided by who's got the confidence and who knows they're going to be right and maybe the sort of social relationships in the class but online it's like you just see the inside of every child's brain continuously and I can <laughs> yes, like, like there's, yeah there's no inhibitions they can just as long as they can type or they've got an adult with them who can type they can just write whatever they want at any time <laughs> and it's actually yeah and, and like I have done last year we did a an online, a, a real life event that a lot of them came to. And it was weird because we did feel like we knew each other. Def yeah, definitely have built relationships. Obviously not the same as in the classroom, but I've been really surprised at, at how some lessons there's a good atmosphere and some lessons don't go well, even though all of it is obviously just really me talking to myself into a screen. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's 
those connections are they are built aren't they over time and yeah I, I just I keep thinking back to um I caught the end of one of your live lessons a, a few weeks ago and someone showed up and you said oh hi you how's your sister doing and, oh, um, yeah. or, or, or how's you're the one with a sister called Morag or something like that I can't remember what it was now <laughs> but I remember thinking blimey Lara you're really you've made these connections you know <laughs> you it's, know about their siblings and it know. doesn't feel like I'm on my own yeah it really doesn't feel like it it's it is lovely I can really picture Kurt the little boy who loves at fire engines who gets really excited if I put a fire engine in my background because his sister's watching it's beautiful yeah I have a few of those I have Eloise who is um, a complete Harry Potter nut so um, I do like to drop in a little Harry Potter gag every now and then for Eloise and she likes um, horror so you know whenever we have like really sort of dark descriptive things she likes that and I've got an Alex who um, just comes out with really witty, funny responses to all of my questions. And Victoria in Canada, who's, you know, really studious and works really hard on her answers in the chat. You know, she, she's not there to, to chat and, and have some lighthearted conversation. She is there to type her best ever answer. Um, she's living her best student life in, in my global classroom. Um, but we get to know them, don't we? Which is lovely. Yeah, we undoubtedly do. Well, and I have like a lot of parents say, um, oh, you know, we were just chatting about you at the dinner table the other day. And I really had to remind myself that I don't I don't actually know you. Yeah, it's quite sad. I mean, obviously, lockdown being what it was, a lot of these parents do kind of class them as friends. Like I've definitely spoken to them a lot more in the last 18 months than I have, you know, people that I've Real met. friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Well, um, I've actually just noticed the time, Lara, and I'm I'm very grateful that you um, have just allowed me to just chin wag with you for the last half an hour. <laughs> I haven't had to keep. I've got this list of questions that I gave you, and I'm, I'm not even sure whether we covered any of them because um, I just chatted away to you. I hope that um, was okay. And... Well, you're the closest thing I have to a colleague, so this was quite dangerous. Yeah, this is this is like um, staff room. We we should have had yeah. like a cup of tea and a biscuit. Although mm. um, I'm like I was saying about my microphone, I'm I'm sure that you can like hear me fiddling with my pen and all of those things. Eating biscuits probably wouldn't sound so good for our listeners. Um, right. Well, Lara, thank you so much for coming to speak to me. I'm sure I will speak to you again. I think there's there's lots of different things that. Um, that you and I could talk about and um, bring to the fore on my late show. So, um, yes, goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Take care, Laura. Thanks so much. Uh, Right. So that this is it's the end of my first show. I I really cannot believe it. Um, Bless you. Mum has said in the chat, found the show very interesting. Look forward to it next week. Well done, Holly. Uh, Well, don't worry, Mum, you can have a week off because I alternate and um, it won't be me next Thursday. It'll be somebody else. Um, Lots of you saying that it would be a fab staff room with um, Lara and I in it. Yes, it would. It needs to happen. Uh, Right. That's the end. Um, I'm going to have to go now and have a very, very strong chamomile tea and um, put myself off to bed because I've got an early start tomorrow morning um, on BBC Three Counties Radio. I'll be talking about spellings. So let me find that closing music and jingle. That's what we're looking for. See you again in two weeks on Teachers Talk Radio.
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.